0: Welcome to Embargo, the podcast featuring intelligent talk about sanctions, export controls, and all things international trade. For trade nerds and normal human beings alike, I am one of your hosts, Brian Fleming. I'm here with my friend, colleague, and co-host, Mr. Tim O'Toole. What is up, Tim?
1: Good afternoon, Brian. Stay out of stay out of the rain
0: good rainy afternoon here in the washington dc area um thanks to everybody for being here today uh and tuning in once again to embargoed uh after our our summer vacation we came back with a vengeance two weeks ago uh all china all the time we are going to as we threatened the last episode we are changing things up because we are tired of talking about China, quite frankly, and we do it all day, every day when we're talking to our clients. So this is a no China episode and it is an all lightning round episode. We are just getting radical with the format. So it's- We are gonna be-
1: go quick and and stay out of China yes. if
0: we possibly can. So we're gonna stay out of China. Hopefully we'll not utter the word China after we do the introduction here and we're gonna do all lightning rounds. So we're gonna cover more to- many more topics than usual. We're gonna do each of them pretty quickly about five to seven minutes at most. And we're going to try to keep the whole thing under an hour if we can, which is hard because Tim and I tend to talk too much, but we will do our best. Tight lip,
1: tight lip today.
0: Yeah, exactly. Quick, quick thoughts, quick hits. So uh, thanks again to everybody for joining uh, the usual uh, introductory notes, which is we're not giving legal advice. We're not relying on any confidential information. Uh, if you do like the pod, if you're a fan of the pod, please subscribe. Please give us a rating, hopefully a five-star rating. You can find us anywhere, Apple, Apple, spotify google stitcher youtube wherever get your podcast content um and uh yeah with that i think we're ready to give the roadmap and jump right in in the spirit of the lightning round episode so uh as usual uh i'll just give a quick roadmap here so you get a sense of the topics if there's anything you want to skip to uh and again no china Uh, That is our solemn pledge to all of you, no China. China China will certainly be here two weeks from now when we come back, so I'm sure the next episode will be all China. But we're going to start with uh, North Korea and the the recent joint advisory that was put out relating to their ballistic missile program and sanctions and export control um, implications of that. Then we're going to turn to the first uh, sanctions uh, imposed upon the ICC and some ICC, uh, the ICC prosecutor which just came out uh, last week. Then we're gonna go turn back to OFAC uh, and we're gonna look at the memorandum of understanding uh, that was signed by OFAC with the state of Delaware, the Attorney General's Office, Department of Justice in in Delaware. And then we're gonna do two enforcement actions, one dealing with an individual uh, and one dealing that just came out yesterday uh, relating to Russia, Ukraine. Uh, And then we're gonna take it home with a quick check-in with Nord Stream Two, specifically what's going on in Germany with Nord Stream Two in light of uh, more geopolitical intrigue relating to uh, Mr. Putin and uh, and the Russian government. Uh, we're going to do a quick check-in with Venezuela and the latest designations there, and then we're going to bring it home with a wild card topic. And I will tell you, Tim, this is a I, I changed up what I'm going to do, so there's actually going to be some sanctions trivia. At the end, and you're going to be on the spot for some sanctions trivia. Oh God! Round, so. Oh God! We'll
1: see how I do on the spot. I, anybody I tend who, to panic?
0: Anybody who knows us knows we did we did not rehearse this. So you're so, going to this. I'm going to catch Tim by surprise. With so this when we'll I how, how we react,
1: I'm going to go off topic here and, and maybe. <laughs> When I was in high school, I was on a show <laughs> called Battle of the Brains. It was a competition among high school students to to answer trivia questions, and we we were down to the last question, and there was a there was a um so, there was a question about a Simon and Garfunkel song, and the correct <laughs> answer as is, was Where Have You Gone, Joe DiMaggio. And I buzzed in and said, where have you been, Joe DiMaggio, which they didn't count and we lost. Ugh. So I'm still bitter. So maybe I can make up for that today.
0: Wow. That is that is a terrible injustice and, it was, and I, a lot of burden to bear for we're you. We're going to right a wrong. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I have confidence in you when we get to that part. So uh, without further ado, let's jump right into our entire lightning round episode. Uh, and we're going to start, as I said, with the North Korea joint advisory that was just issued. So we've talked about a number of these over the last few months uh, these joint advisories issued by multiple agencies of the US government that are highlighting a particular either country threat or subject matter threat and there was another one just issued last week relating to North Korea and in particular its ballistic missile program this was a joint advisory that was issued by the State Department Treasury and commerce and it functions and would laid out was laid out much like many of the other uh, advisories that we've seen which is it just sort of gives a, a pretty in-depth overview of the the North Korean Ballistic Missile Program and the threat presented there. It lists and catalogs a number of North Korean entities that ha- have been designated and have for many, many years, many of them uh, give some red flags and kind of the MO of how they seek to evade sanctions to procure certain items that are needed for the Ballistic Missile Program. And then it runs through the litany of UN and US legal restrictions and sanctions programs and export control programs that touch upon this area in an effort to make it clear, sort of how fraught it is to uh, have any dealings, sort of inadvertent or otherwise, with this uh, this enterprise by the North Koreans. So the the thing I want to highlight again, in the spirit of the lightning round, I want to highlight just one thing or two things really quickly. Um, so. Essentially, this is a this is another effort, in my view, again, for raising awareness in this area, a critical area, and sort of a more traditional area for sanctions and export controls, kind of core military national security concerns. Uh, and this has been an existing concern with respect to North Korea for many, many, many years. Uh, and for anybody who's in any of the industries that are sort of implicated by this, that this is really directed at that needs to be heightening their awareness in terms of their compliance with these rules. And this goes for us companies or non-us companies. I would certainly encourage you to read this advisory if you haven't read it already. And in particular, I'm going to flag two things. One is the, the areas that they call out, um, in terms of the procurement activities relating to the ballistic missile program, they, in particular, they call it anybody who's involved in the electronics, chemical metals, materials, industries as well as financial, transportation, and logistics sectors. So to the extent that anybody out there is listening to this that operates and works at a company or advises companies that work in those sectors, it's certainly good practice to be uh, rev- reviewing this alert, this advisory. And I would also add that in the annex that's attached here is a essentially a veritable shopping list of a ballistic missile program procurement agent. Uh, pages and pages long, that sort of goes through all of the different types of items uh, that might be on the wish list of the North Koreans. And so that also, I think, is worth looking at for anybody in those sectors. That's, that's all I really want to say about that
1: yeah i'm glad you called it a shopping list because my first impression was that if the north koreans didn't know what to look for and what to try and purchase when they want to build a a missile program now they do i mean that's like a nice list i also thought from a compliance standpoint that that list was very helpful because if i were trying to if i if i was selling u.s goods overseas in particular and i sold anything on that list um, and exported to asia and certainly to china I'd be very scared right now. And I'd want to look into that. Although I guess my other impression of this advisory was it does seem a little late. I mean, the North Korean uh, missile program seems pretty far along. And you would think that uh, a couple years after they've come out with the program, and, and we've been negotiating with the North Koreans for what now two years to try and dismantle the program, that we would have come out with the advisory a little earlier so that they wouldn't have gotten as far down the road as they did. But it is what it is. I thought it was a good good guide for companies that make the products that are on that list and that are in those industries. As we've
0: said before, it, it, perhaps this is on the, this was on the to-do list of many uh, at those agencies during quarantine, and they finally were able to check this off their list, so perhaps that's why it's coming out now. I don't know. The timing is a little right. peculiar given this is such a long-standing uh, threat, but you know, be that as it may, I agree this is a good tool and, and encourage everybody out there who might Uh, find this relevant to to take a look at it. So with that, let's move on to the ICC. All
1: right. So the International Criminal Court has been around for a few years. Um, 123 countries are members of the International Criminal Court, including Afghanistan, which will become important in a second. But the United States is not a member of the International Criminal Court. Um, the the I believe it was the Bush administration um, refused to join uh, it was never we've never signed the treaty uh, and it's never gotten over the treaty requirements so the US has never joined the International Criminal Court it, the the International Criminal Court is currently investigating in Afghanistan uh, what are alleged to be war crimes that involve the US Army and the the Trump administration has been very opposed to this um, this is this is longstanding u s policy not to be part of the international Criminal Court but again because the events took place in a country that is part of the international Criminal Court there is arguable jurisdiction over these events and the international Criminal Court has been investigating um, rather than actually deal with the one hundred and twenty three countries with whom all of whom which or at least the, the great majority of which we have diplomatic relations and the ability to engage in negotiations about the scope of the in, International Criminal Court investigations, the Trump administration turned to its favorite policy for all things foreign, foreign policy related. It created a sanctions program aimed at the International Criminal Court. And so in June of this year, President Trump signed an executive order allowing the Treasury Department to impose sanctions, OFAC to Imposed sanctions against ICC investigators who were involved in the investigation of the United States. And uh, recently, uh, I think was it last week? Really, in the last ten days or so. Yeah, last, um, week. last week. The U.S. imposed the first set of sanctions with respect to the International Criminal Court. They uh, imposed sanctions against uh, Fatu Bansuda, who is actually the the lead the, the lead investigator for the entire court, and then uh, uh, and I'm, I'm sure I'm not going to pronounce his name right, but I think it's Fakiso uh, Mochi, Mochichoko, who is uh, of Lesotho ancestry and is the head of one of the departments of the International uh, Criminal Court. Uh, I, I believe it is the uh, what. Which department is it? It's one. It's one. It's the jurisdiction department of the International Criminal Court, and he's also uh, apparently involved with the investigation. So both of those individuals have now been blocked by the United States as a result of their investigation into the ICC. Um, I think my thoughts on that were kind of hinted at when I mentioned that the United States decided to go down this route rather than actually diplomatically trying to deal with the countries involved in the ICC and seeing if there's some diplomatic way to resolve this short of um, sanctioning the investigators from the ICC who are actually just kind of line level investigators carrying out an investigation. I mean, this is the head of investigations, but it's still, you know, the equivalent of sanctioning the head of the FBI because some other country was unhappy with the fact that the FBI was investigating in their country. It it seems like a a rather uh, extra legal way to proceed uh, on the international scene to me. And I doubt that it is going to be successful in the long run in shutting down the ICC. And in fact, it may um, bolster international support, at least in the short term for the ICC when otherwise. you know that th- there may have been less support because the ICC has th- their their investigations have not been uncontroversial just outside the United States there's been discussions that they really focus too much on Africa and not on some of the other member states in the ICC and so i i, I certainly think that that had the United States gone down the diplomatic route there might have been more consensus internationally about what the icc couldn't couldn't
0: do but it's chosen to go down the sanctions route and we shall see if that will be successful yeah i think the the big takeaway for me on this and and i should say that when this executive order was issued a few months ago and we first discussed it on the podcast i was on the record on the pod as saying that i don't know if this executive order is ever even going to be deployed or utilized so i was wrong on that front i should have known better Uh, but the reaction to this internationally, I think, is what's noteworthy, because this is barely making a ripple here in the U.S. Uh, there was a statement from Secretary Pompeo. I don't think there was even a press release put out by OFAC when the designations came out last week. But internationally, the EU has condemned this. Uh, the U.K. is actually a member of the ICC. So so they have had, there's some, been some critical comments coming out of the U.K., I should note that in addition to the fact the US is not a member, Russia, China, and India are also not members. So it's a good company. For the yeah, good company, but at least for the largest economies in the world, not, not part of this. Um, I, I will say that um, you know, I think the in terms of sort of being symbolic of the US's decision to to go it alone on these types of issues and to take positions and in deploy tactics that are deeply unpopular around the world. This is a sort of another illustration of that. I would also say that I, I saw a very interesting comment in one of the news reports I read on this, which was: you know, what is to say that the United States is not going to deploy a similar strategy with respect to the World Health Organization? Right. who it is who it is who it is furious at regarding covid and its alleged mishandling of well, covid how recent- long before the head of the who is sanctioned there's a new sanctions program that gets put up and then at that point and we've said this before how how much is too much when does it get to the point where this is all just mean, this is meaningless or at least in certain contexts it maybe is meaningless and symbolic and just Completely waters down the power of the tool that the U.S. has at its disposal when it comes to sanctions. So I think that's the main takeaway for me.
1: Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. This this turns U.S. sanction policy. At least it has the potential to turn it into a joke, and you don't want that because essentially, if 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 you you use sanctions too much and you use the you use sanctions in areas where international consensus is is not with us on this and the ability for these sanctions to have make meaningful change are really not great in my view and so so you 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 weaken the sanctions tool by using them in instances like this and you do create this situation where you know will the who be, be next now given the developments of the last few days and the fact that um, apparently the, the WHO did not um, fool the U.S. government into thinking that that COVID was not dangerous because apparently at the highest levels, the know. Un- un- the u.s government has been well aware of that since apparently since january so so the who may not be on the chopping block but maybe they will maybe that's where that's where the, the next sanctions program is
0: Scape, scapegoats are valuable tim so you, you it's need, true you need to find it's them true. so I,
1: you know and and we both have we both have failed to um fail to anticipate the lengths to which the current government would go in yeah. imposing sanctions. So so
0: maybe maybe WHO is next. Nothing would surprise me at this point. So with that, <laughs> let's wrap up that topic. I'm sure we may come back to that in the future. On to uh lightning around topic number three, which is the memorandum of, of understanding that was uh issued that was signed last week and publicized between OFAC and the Delaware Department of Justice. Uh so this is Interesting for a number of reasons. So, so what, the, what the MOU actually says and does is not all that interesting, perhaps, and is not all that just you know, different than many, many other MOUs that I have seen both in my time in government between various agencies to coordinate, to share information, to, invest, you know, to conduct investigations jointly, to do training, et cetera. It, sort of con- it contains all those bells and whistles that you would expect to see. Um, I think what's interesting is, uh, perhaps with this, the, the deterrent effect that perhaps this could have just the announcement of this could have in terms of what it's trying to signal or what it's, it's representing, which is, and one of the bullet points I'm looking at the press release that was issued, um, talks about improving transparency into corporate structures used to disguise illicit business dealings. So for anybody who's not familiar with this, and again, we assume people, Uh, who listen to this podcast are, or anybody who's outside the U S Delaware is of course, the the number one jurisdiction for corporate um, organization registration in the United States um, and has been for many, many years. So the idea that OFAC would be kind of teaming up with the state government of Delaware to perhaps more effectively share information and investigate shell companies or other interests of uh, sanctioned parties or blocked property or parties that are adjacent to any of those things in an effort to aid It's their own investigation, Department of Justice investigations, uh, asset forfeiture actions, blocking actions, et cetera, is interesting and I think sends a signal and they're trying to send a clear signal that um, you know, for those who think you can hide in plain sight in Delaware, those days are over. That's what they're certainly trying to signal. Now what this amounts to at the end of the day, I don't know. They, they sort of style it as if there is already ongoing collaboration and cooperation, and this is just kind of uh, cementing that a little bit. And if you take a close look at all at the MOU, nobody really commits to do anything because government agencies can never commit to do anything and never want to give up any autonomy. And that is certainly the case here. But again, as a symbolic matter and as a uh, gesture to have some deterrent effect and send a signal that perhaps there's going to be more focus in this area, uh, I think this is, an interesting development and and one that we'll have to keep an eye on.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, when I heard about the MOU, that my first thought was, you know, it's Delaware, they've got a ton of corporate records, including, you know, US subs of overseas businesses. This is going to be OFAC now kind of getting inside the candy store and being able to rifle through these records to see, you know, to to potentially surface sanctions issues. Um, And And so that was my thought. The press release kind of tends to back that up. The MOU is kind of boring and unenforceable and really doesn't address some of the issues that would, would, I would have expected to be in there, especially in terms of specifics about corporate records and the exchange of corporate information and maybe the electronic exchange. None of that is in the body of the MOU itself. It is hinted at in the press release. And so to the extent that OFAC is now going to have visibility into Delaware corporate records and, and potentially, you know, who beneficial owners are and that sort of thing. Um, it could be a big deal. It, it, there could be a lot more forfeiture for actions, a lot more um, you know, designations that arise out of this, but we'll see.
0: Yeah, I, agreed. We're, we're, this is a bit of a TBD how impactful this is going to be, but certainly an interesting move. And like I said, uh, just the symbolic value alone, I think carries a little bit of weight to it. So we'll, we'll uh, so wanted to bring that up. Uh, with that, let's stay with OFAC and let's go now to an enforcement action that was announced last month relating to an individual, which is not something we see very often.
1: No. So August 11th, 2020, OFAC announced a settlement for $5,000. Um, normally I don't think that that would have even made it onto this podcast. So that's how unnoteworthy um, it would normally be, but the settlement was with a person and and that you know, is probably the first one I've seen in a long time. I, you used to see them back in the, back in the day, if you went through um, some of the settlements with U.S. persons, they, they OFAC used to do settlements with people who like brought cigars in from Cuba. Um, and, and so if you kind of go through their 2001, 2002, some of those settlements, but, but it's been a long time. And so, so this settlement, was just the five thousand dollar payment, but the but it uh, was a was a discussion of a person, a, a U.S. person who was in the Colombian embassy, who wound up having a personal relationship with a designated um, narcotics trafficker. Um, actually, they had relationships with two of them. Uh, the the SDN two, as in the the notice, introduced the U.S. person to SDN one, and the U.S. person had a relationship where they basically. Um, you know, wound up taking the SDN to dinner and wound up doing other things and buying gifts and, and other things for the SDN. So essentially dealing in the property of the SDN. It wasn't a huge settlement, but I think that the the purpose was to send notice to U.S. persons that uh, they can potentially get in trouble uh, just in the same way the companies can. And so so I do think um this is something that OFAC, a message that OFAC wanted to send, and uh, is probably one that is more common, or the conduct is more common than than you would think. And so, I think um, that is really the takeaway from this: is you know, people people are can be in OFAC sites as well.
0: Yeah, I think that this can be really boiled down, not to be too glib here, to don't date an SDN without <laughs> OFAC authorization. Yep. When we say stay sanctions free, this is literally what we mean. This is what we, we were talking about. This is literally State. what we're talking about. I, I think um, <laughs> there's also the point that this was a person, obviously that was uh, military. It sounds like that was stationed at the embassy, so yep. that's a community that OFAC wants to be speaking to to remind them that they that those folks have these types of obligations uh, and they can't be, uh, you know, in, engaging in this type of activity with SDNs. Uh, it's not as if, as Tim said, with an individual, it's not as if they can have a detailed recitation at the end about how they have to do, improve their compliance program or <laughs> or, up or increase their internal audit uh, you know, uh, function to uh, monitor ongoing compliance with this. So uh, it is a bit of a strange one, but I, but I do think that it's one that we wanted to call out because you don't see this very often. I also would say kudos to this person and their lawyers no names mentioned in this.
1: Yeah, that's we, pretty good.
0: We, no name of the individual. No names of the SDNs. It's all just placeholders and anonymous. So yep. I, I can I can see why that would make a lot of sense. And I'm not saying again I'm I'm complimenting the people who accomplish that. that. That's great because Tim and I would certainly be trying to do the same thing if we were representing somebody in that position. Yep. Uh, and obviously, a lot of the value in the corporate resolutions is. A bit of the name and shame you put a name up there it's especially if it's a well-known company a lot of people take notice of it obviously i don't i don't think you would have had the same benefit here it's more the circumstances that are that are compelling so in any event uh one that we wanted to call attention to uh which is a which is a bit of an outlier case uh so one to one to look at if you haven't if you haven't uh looked at it previously um so moving on to the next uh the next topic which is Another recent OFAC settlement, this is very recent. We are recording this on uh, September 10th. This was just released yesterday, September 9th. This is a uh, resolution and a settlement that was published between OFAC and Deutsche Bank Trust Companies Americas. Uh, and it's relating to essentially two separate, uh, at least types of uh, violations or apparent violations relating to the Russia-Ukraine sanctions. The first of which, and I think they're kind of this, this matter kind of exemplifies some kind of critical, uh, kind of core compliance considerations that we talk about a lot on this podcast and that we talk to our clients a lot about. So I think highlighting those is, is, is useful. So the first area is essentially there was a, um, a large, um, transfer of funds that the, that DBTCA was, uh, involved in and there was, it involved and they were, they were, they knew it involved at least a property interest or at least a potential property interest relating to, um, an SDN and they were told orally by another party, a, a lawyer, it seems like for, for not the account holder, but, but somebody else that the property interest that that SDN had in this property had been extinguished. Um, they were also told this had to happen fast, it needed to go through quickly, and they basically accepted that representation and did no additional due diligence. It turned out that that was wrong, the, the property interest was still live, so they, um, they dealt in the property of an SDN by completing that transfer uh, through uh, New York. And uh, moreover, it turns out that the SDN that was involved um, was, had been put on the list only a week before this all happened. So if, if, if you know, given the name and the nature of the transaction and the fact that they were a freshly added SDN, and this was involving the purchase of fuel oil that was apparently critical to their business, in a you know very large sum of money, almost thirty million dollars that was at issue in the wire transfer, and there was you know according to the write up there was no additional due diligence done beyond the the sort of the word of the other the external counsel that was privy to some of this and. So OFAC essential says, well, that wasn't good enough. And so we're going to hold you responsible for that. And then the other side of it was um, kind of separately also related to Russia. There were 61 transactions that involved a, um, a, a blocked Russian financial institution. And apparently this was missed in the screening of DBTCA in part because they did not include in their screening function, the SWIFT business identifier codes that are provided as part of the uh, SDN listing uh, that is you know, typically, if it's, if known, it will be provided as part of the listing. That was not part of their uh, screening um, package, so they didn't actually check for that. And they were uh, essentially, it looks like they were screening for only 100% word match. So there was no fuzziness in their screening tool. So they were they were seeing it appears only a very narrow band of entities and it didn't catch. And so there were 61 transactions that went through there. So on the sort of screening side and on the broader kind of due due diligence transactional side, you know, I think a few, these are sort of some red flags and some lessons that we talk about a lot that are useful, I think, for anybody to look at who certainly is involved in financial services uh, that deals in any of any of these types of transactions cross border or otherwise. So I, I think with that, that's, that's about all I have to say about it.
1: Yeah. I have very little to say too. I mean, it seems like another one of these, like don't rush in the compliance context, right? Cause, and this happens a lot. Compliance people get these questions in and the business side is like, we got to have an answer yesterday. Got to go now, got to go now. And sometimes that's prompts mistakes. And there've been a lot of, Screening cases really I'd say if there was one big trend enforcement trend in the last year or so It's been that screening misses are more and more prevalent um, And so, you know, don't tune your screen too high and and be careful, you know Trying to figure out whether there are true matches is really all of the takeaways from yesterday's
0: and if, and if OFAC gives you SWIFT codes make sure that the SWIFT codes are integrated into your screening. So yeah, absolutely Yeah uh, so with that, let's let's move on to the next topic. We are flying. This is a true lightning round episode. I'm, I'm very prou- I'm proud of us. I'm very proud of us. Um, don't, don't
1: speak too fast.
0: Yeah, we, maybe we'll get derailed here. So Tim's favorite topic, let's go to Nord Stream 2. Nord Stream 2. So
1: we've talked about Nord Stream 2 quite a bit. Uh, back in uh, Katza, there were sanctions that could have applied to Nord Stream 2. The State Department said that the sanctions don't necessarily apply to Nord Stream 2, although... Earlier this summer in July, the State Department said that the KatSA sanctions in Section 232 potentially do apply to Nord Stream 2. Congress passed the law uh, back in December of this year. We talked about it on an earlier episode of the podcast called PISA that applied a different set of sanctions, secondary sanctions, to Nord Stream 2, uh, at least to vessels that were helping to lay the last few miles of the pipeline. Um, those sanctions were supposed to be accompanied by a list of vessels that were uh, helping Russia complete the pipeline. That never happened. And part of the reason that there really hasn't, in, at least in my view, there really hasn't been much pressure to uh, impose any real sanctions on Nord Stream 2 is that Germany is strongly opposed to any sanctions. And obviously Germany is an important ally and, and Germany is gonna be the beneficiary of this project. And so although the US has been you know, very vocal in opposing Nord Stream 2, it really has not imposed sanctions yet. The big development recently, although it's this one still seems to be now seems to be fizzling, is that. Germany has uh, welcomed um, Ale- Alexei Navalny, who is the opposition leader in Russia, or was was the opposition leader in Russia, was apparently uh, poisoned using some sort of chemical weapons agent, uh, similar to some other critics of the Russian government over the past few years. Um, some of those have resulted in the imposition of of chemical weapons treaty sanctions. So, so. Germany welcomed in Mr. Navalny after he was poisoned and he is, he's being treated in Berlin, as I understand it. Um, the Chancellor Mark Merkel uh, and her foreign minister were, in the last week or so, quoted as saying that the the Russian action with respect to Mr. Navalny uh, does prompt the possibility of halting um, Nord Stream 2, the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline. Now, how that was going to happen was subject to discussion or at least subject to um, subject to some kind of media discussion about whether the Germans would just allow the US and and others who had been who'd wanted to sanction the project and wanted to kill the project to now impose sanctions um, and so that was the talk until really the last couple of days um, and it looks like at least behind closed doors chairman Merkel and uh, her or Chancellor Merkel and her economy minister uh, have now played down the possibility of halting Nord Stream 2 and say that they need to look more closely at the issue, and maybe they were a little bit hasty in that talk. But um, that does, you know, the, the, that that is, at least for a little while, it looked like there might be a real threat to the Nord Stream 2 pipeline completion, because if Germany turns on this issue, I do think that, that there there. There is such a framework for imposing sanctions that sanctions might actually come into play and might actually um, have s- create some create some some real uh, impediments to finishing the Nord Stream Two pipeline.
0: Yeah, I think the the message that seems to be coming through now in the most recent reporting on this is that Germany uh, and Chancellor Merkel have decided strategically to sort of decouple the Nord Stream 2 issue from the broader question of whether or not this should be met with this action should be met with some type of sanctions response from Germany or the EU or otherwise. And I, and I think that issue is very much alive. Uh, and I, and in fact, I wouldn't be surprised if the United States does something along those lines as, as we have responded, uh, in, uh, in past circumstances that resemble this, where critics of the Russian government have been uh, killed or or you know seriously injured by virtue of poisoning or otherwise, uh, so I you know keep an eye on that. I, I could certainly imagine that we may see more more there. Uh, so, it, but I think Tim is right that you know it, it, it's you know depending on who you believe and what you read, the threat of U.S. sanctions. In, in the, whether it be Katsa or Pisa, or there's another law that's still being discussed right now in Congress that yeah. would, would further kind of enhance what was put in place in late 2019 to go after an even broader set of actors who were in, you know, potentially fil- facilitating the pipeline construction project it's un, it's sort of unclear sort of how effective those have been in terms of a deterrent effect. Anecdotally, it seems that there's been some deterrent effect, but at the same time, it's, it certainly seems like the pipeline's proceeding and will be finished at some point uh, because folks in Russia and the relevant countries are willing to sort of disregard the risk that comes with any U.S. actions unilaterally on this and or EU actions. So whether this now ratchets that up or changes that calculus is hard to say. I think uh, there will likely be some action that is taken in response to the poisoning of Navalny, but whether that has any direct impact on Nord Stream 2, I think is very difficult to say. And and the more time passes, I think, the less likely it becomes that that is explicitly tied to the, to the pipeline.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think that, that this, the, the, effectiveness of the sanctions is ultimately going to turn on whether Germany gets on board. And I think Germany, after an initial dart in that direction and, and really changing these sanctions from paper sanctions to, to possibly real tools to change behavior, um, realized, took a deep breath and said maybe they can go in a different direction because the, the pipeline, by all accounts, is very, very important to, to the German government and to the German economy.
0: Right. So I, I have a hard time believing that they're truly going to scuttle the whole project or, um, for, for this, but um, but stay tuned because I think there will be more action sanctions wise, whether again from the EU, Germany or the US uh, in response to the evolving action. So we will keep our eyes on that. Um, with that, let's move on to the next topic, which is Venezuela. We haven't uh, hit on Venezuela too much recently. There's not a lot additional to report other than there were another um, set of designations that came out last week uh, against four individuals uh, that are tied in with the Maduro regime, uh, this time mostly focused on the uh, their efforts allegedly or purportedly to undermine sort of free and fair elections to be held in Venezuela later this year. So um, it's good to see the United States cares about having free and fair and open elections. Um in Venezuela. Voting and is so, good. Voting is good. Voting is good. If you're listening and you're living in the United States, please vote. Uh and so or anywhere. Uh but you know, I think the question that I really wanted to raise here or the one comment I would have is, you know, I feel like we're in a bit of a wash rinse repeat cycle with Venezuela where the the same strategy has kind of been in place for, you know, quite some time, 12 18 months plus now in terms of these high profile actors connected to Maduro going after them, the big criminal case that we've talked about previously on the pod, uh, anything related to Petaveza or oil uh, shipments or the attempts by the regime to, uh, you know, extract financial gain from oil or gold or any of the other resources in the country. Uh, You know, I, I think it's, again, I think it just begs the question sort of, you know, again, if regime change is the ultimate goal here, or, you know, as the U.S. would have it and other allies would have it, you know, that there is already an interim president that has been identified. And and so the regime has changed, although we all know as a reality, that's not exactly the case. Um, You know, when is, you know, when are we going to either declare victory or change course, or is this going to be the sort of perpetual state we're in uh, in, indefinitely with respect to that as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's hard to say. I, I, I definitely think that, that the U S goes back and forth over what its policy is there and that these designations in my view, get, get at a more achievable goal. If, if the goal is to force a new election that is free and fair, that seems to me to be achievable. You can obtain international consensus. I think it's a, a goal that could continue into a Biden administration if, if if Biden wins the election. It certainly would continue into a Trump administration if Trump wins the election. And so it, it seems manageable and potentially achievable, although you know it hasn't been achieved yet, because I, I think ultimately you might be able to get the international community to to force Maduro to. Um, Undergo some for, sort of basically free and fair election. What you're never going to be able to, to achieve with sanctions, in my view, is to to get the the current administration to just go agree to to give up power. And to just away. I mean, right? I mean, we're still trying yeah. with Castro. I mean, and and he's not even around anymore. I mean, he he. So so that just never has worked as historically, and 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 it's just especially if you don't have international consensus on that. And I don't think you would be able to achieve international consensus as easily, although there has been quite a bit of international support for president Boydow. And so, so I, I think ultimately with Venezuela, um, the U S these, these designations in my view are aimed at, an at more achievable manageable goal. If they stay on that path, they might actually be able to, to create some, behavior modification in venezuela but but we'll see if they stay on that path or if they kind of then veer towards just a pure like let's throw maduro out of power no matter how it takes in which case you don't need sanctions you need an army in my view
0: right okay so with that um let's uh, put venezuela aside so that brings us so we are we are right on track we are yeah, we let's are. pause again for another bookend sound effect we are just full lightning in this episode, as we as we promised you. No China, although Tim did mention China. That was that was he he was when a, we were talking about North in
1: Korea.
0: Inadvertent. Inadvertent. Yeah, in we'll let that go. That was um, that was. Uh, a technical technical foul but um, you, can, you can
1: just give me a warning letter yeah that.
0: warning you cautionary letter so yeah, exactly uh, the so this brings us to the last topic which is the wild card round so I, I as i said i have some trivia but i'm gonna let tim go first and then we'll save the trivia for last so all
1: right so so mine is going to be very quick and it was a it was off the top of my head but it is something that i've been thinking about so we are now in almost mid September. I mean September tenth is mid September. When this is released, it will definitely be mid September. To to this point, OFAC has ten enforcement actions this year and has imposed a total of eleven million dollars in fines. Um I'm Not an advocate for bigger fines, don't don't get me wrong, or for more fines or for more enforcement actions. But if you looked at about the same time last year, OFAC had 20 enforcement actions and about $1.1 billion in fines. Now, some of those were were flukes in the sense that you know the, the billion dollar number really was a couple of big bank settlements that where the conduct was old, and so they just happened to settle in in um in 2019. But you know, those, those have been happening many years. And so I don't think that, that twenty twenty nineteen was overly representative on the enforcement side. It probably was more, slightly more than earlier years because of the big settlements, but twenty twenty settlements in the first nine months of the year is probably not that many historically. Whereas this year we've got half that many. So I, I, I guess what I would throw out to you, Brian, and I'll, I'll offer two quick, uh, two quick hypotheses on this. Uh, Is this COVID? And my my view is that it's a little bit COVID and a little bit, um, you know, no big enforcement actions to this point. But I also think that um, at least part of it is just kind of the historic ebb and flow with sanctions actions. And so sometimes you'll see a lot of settlements because they just happen to come in bunches. But, but that there isn't a huge slowdown at OFAC, but I do think there is some sort of a COVID-related slowdown. At OFAC. Yeah,
0: so I will. So I will agree with you that this is at least partially COVID-related, as we know from the ver- the various agencies that we have matters before currently, including OFAC. Things are just moving slower and have been moving slower for the past six months, and that's just the reality uh, of of doing business. And, these days in 2020 i would also say that my other my theory would also be that there has been so much effort and emphasis and resources devoted to program expansion at ofac and also just to designations and yep. to, to just massive you know the pace of designations as the as the administration and as the treasury department is fond of pointing out has outstripped anything in the past that we've ever seen. So yep. whether, and that's across the board, and, I, and this is actually ties into my trivia question, which which we're going to get to in a minute. And so I think that the, the focus on the program expansion, you know, Hong Kong is brand new. ICC is brand new. Uh, Glomag has gotten a lot more action this year. Iran the, the, and- The Syria, Uyghurs. The Uyghurs, yeah. All of those programs have been, Um, either are brand new or have seen, you know, upticks in action. Plus you have the old stalwarts like Iran and uh, the Kingpin act and and all the other things. So I think it's, I think it's that, I think it's great great resources and and enforcement if is thought of in a broader way than just settlements, I think they would, OFAC would come back and say, what are you talking about? Our enforcement is more (laughs) vigorous than ever and it's more widespread and it's more effective. Because of
1: because of that. Because so, of all the, the designations. But but I, I, I do think that the the increasing number of of sanctions programs has gotta take a has gotta take a toll in terms of enforcement because it takes a lot of resources yes. to open a new program. I mean, with the it executive does. order and figuring out the regs and figuring out what the general licenses will be. So yeah, I agree that, that yeah. it's a d- potential diversion of resources as well. And there, there are a lot of designations. I, I actually, maybe on the next one, we'll go back and look at that. Cause I, I put together a slide recently. I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but the designations are big this year. My recollection is that, um, that there's actually a lot in Syria um, that I, which I hadn't realized, I looked at it to do, to do a a training and, and there were more
0: Yeah, when we we talked about the, when we talked about the Caesar Act, I think we looked at that a little bit and, um, We'll get our we'll get our army of dedicated interns to look at that and put put some numbers together for yep. us for the next episode. Uh, our, so,
1: our our masses masses of, massive
0: uh, the massive team of interns that we have that help exactly. us do the do the podcast. So uh, that is a perfect segue. Amazingly enough, Uh-oh. to my trivia question. I'm
1: nervous so, now.
0: All right, here's the trivia question for you. So. Again, the same massive team of interns helped me pull this all together. So, so you have research the, at your disposal. Exactly. Like. So for those who are familiar with the OFAC uh, website, uh, there is the country and sanctions program page, which lists out all active uh, sanctions programs that are either subject matter, like the Kingpin Act, or country, like Iran, Syria, and North Korea. Uh, so there are currently somewhere north of 30 active programs. As we said, there've been a few new ones that have been uh, instituted just this year. And so there's quite a number, although we tend again, for loyal listeners of this program, they know we tend to talk about maybe five to 10 that in all honesty are the highest priority that take up the most time that take up the most effort that are the biggest worries to to compliance professionals around the world. And so, you know, there's, there's a handful, half a dozen to 10 perhaps, that we spend most of the time talking about. But again, 30 plus. In, uh, on that same page on the right-hand side of the page, there's a column that says program last updated. And that gives a date which indicates the last time that there were designations under the program or a new FAQ issued or new regulations or, whatever, some kind of substantive update to the program. In doing this com- incredibly in-depth research, I, I realized, or my our team of interns realized, that the, crack, crack team. our crack team of interns realized that of all those 30 plus programs, there are only three that have not been updated or had any action taken under the current administration. Only three. Every other program, there has been something that has, oh been hap- that has happened or been updated under the program. So that's 30-plus programs. So that's pretty remarkable. The question for you, Mr. O'Toole, can you name the three programs that have not had any action or been updated under the current presidential administration? I, I doubt it. So,
1: so I'm going to take a wild
0: guess on this. Do not go to the OFAC website. (laughs) I can't. I'm not, I'm not,
1: I'm not, I've, I've got the Google off. Um, So.
0: (sighs) Bar trivia rules apply here. So no, no honor code. Nobody's using Google. Nobody's
1: using Google. So I I, just guessing because there's been no real activity there lately, although it was threatened, uh, potentially the Iraq program,
0: um, that's a good guess, but, but no, but no it's no. a good guess. There, there was, I think 2017 was the last time there was anything to do with okay, the rock, so but so- good, good guess, but, but no, unfortunately. All right. Um, we'll do a, th- we'll do a three strikes you're out rule here. So we don't right. uh, put us over the 60 minutes.
1: So, so another country where there has not been a lot sanctions related recently has been Libya, but I actually, th- so that would be my second guess, but that
0: doesn't sound right. Also, also incorrect. And then two strikes. So you two strikes. you, you, you got to right, so, choke up on the bat here. So take I'll take th- my
1: final guess is one where there probably should have been sanctions activity, but maybe there wasn't. And so I'm going to guess Belarus for the, my last guess.
0: Also wrong. So, th- so you're down, down swinging on three pitches. So All right. the, 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 the correct answer. Let's hear this. Lebanon, which n- nothing since 2010, surprising and i would also add that the lebanon program was really stood up in connection with concerns about syria so there's right. obviously a lot of activity with syria but nothing in lebanon since 2010 yemen nothing in that's, Yemen since
1: that stuns me nothing right? in yemen I mean, since
0: 2015 uh when there were a couple of some designations in 2015 I mean, and then the final answer the final the final answer to the question burundi 2016 last time any action in burundi i and i believe that was right around the time the program was was stood up too so right. those are the three answers so lebanon Interesting. yemen burundi I- and so if you want to know if so if you're having a discussion internally at your company at your law firm what countries subject to u.s sanctions are perhaps could be readjusted in the risk matrices that you have I would say those three are probably three that you might want to consider.
1: I'd be careful. I'd be careful, especially with (laughs) Yemen. I'm kind of stunned. I mean, like if if there's a change in administration, I'm guessing that that changes as well.
0: I think that's right. I think that's exactly right. And the type of activities that were uh, the repressive sort of human rights related activities that are being targeted there in terms of the internal uh, strife going on in Yemen, I think has just been, obviously a much lower priority for this administration than perhaps in the past. So, uh, so yes, that that's, there's no, nothing set in stone um, that those are going to be remaining uh, idle, so to speak. But, and also it, to the extent, anybody from OFAC is listening to this, please don't take this as a challenge to do something right. with respect to those right. three uh, programs. Cause that's Especially, not what this is meant to be. It's,
1: it's, what's going to happen is they're going to, they're going to impose, they're going to take action in all three of those programs tomorrow. Right. So that by the time we release this, you know th- there won't be any correct answers
0: correct and also the KGB will probably poison our tea at some point uh in the next like five days for even bringing up Navalny don't on this podcast don't so. even
1: joke about
0: that's that. That. that's a that's a joke that that is a joke so uh with that I think Putin we are, if you're listening yeah Vlad we are we are just kidding uh so with that I think we are officially done with the lightning round episode we basically avoided China the entire time. And we have brought this in under 60 minutes, as promised. So I feel very proud of us. Uh, and we've accomplished, really accomplished something. Now, of course, the next time, I'm sure, we will revert to talking about all China all the time. Uh, I, I would suspect, though, as we as we creep closer to the election, we will also be talking about uh, this. Actually, today, there were just some cyber, uh, the cyber EO, there were some sanctions targeting some cyber actors under the cyber EO relating to election interference. So I think we will in all likelihood be coming to that as well, but I think we'll be back to some old favorites uh, next yeah. time around. I
1: want to talk about Mulan next time too. <laughs>
0: okay. It, That's, also, no. I want to hear more about any um, traumatic, High school trivia. Well, um, I mean,
1: you've just so you've just given me PTSD because now I've failed at trivia again on yeah. the spot, but this time it was not. I wasn't even close. So that's yeah. Good.
0: Well, I, also, I don't judge you for not not knowing the words to um, Mrs. Robinson uh, verbatim, so it's okay. Um, I was pretty close. <laughs> so with that, <laughs> uh, thank you all for tuning in. As always, uh, if you enjoy the pod, please subscribe. Please give us a five star rating. You can find us anywhere, Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, YouTube, anywhere you get your podcast content. And uh, it's been, this one's been uh, a little more fun than usual because we've covered, uh, to keep it interesting for ourselves and hopefully you, uh, a, a much more diverse range of topics. So uh, I'm sure we will come back to this format at some point in the, in the future, given uh, how wildly successful it was this time around. Exactly. But uh, with that, uh, until next time, please stay safe and stay sanctions free. Stay safe, everybody.
1: Thanks for listening.
0: Thanks. Bye, everyone.